What's up and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? We got a great case for you this week. Going over to Italy, you're going to hear us mispronounce oh, yeah. uh, a bunch of Italian names, Italian <laughs> cities, and such like that. So, and such as. Uh, yeah. yeah, we will we'll definitely be doing that. Um, I noticed that you had the, uh, I, I was looking over the old crime line this morning, you know, as yes, I typically sir. do, just to kind of prepare for the show. And uh, I noticed that you have the um, pronunciation spelled out for some things. Um, but uh, so at least the first time we say things will probably be correct. And then exactly. after that, who knows, right? And then we'll right? butcher them from there. Right. Okay. But you can't say I, we didn't try. That's right. That's right. I mean, you can't expect us to keep going back up to the pronunciation or type that every single time that word appears, you know? That's just unrealistic. We're very limited human <laughs> beings, if you haven't noticed. So, <laughs> as we said, we try. We try. And uh, also, we're, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I was just going to say, and also our Italian accents will not be um, Italian Italian accents. They'll be like American Italian accents, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> East Coast, New York, <laughs> right? Uh, all mafia of our style. All of our all the Italians in this are gonna sound like mafia men. That's a spicy <laughs> meatball. <laughs> that's about that. That's about the extent you're gonna get. So if you're not prepared for that, just go ahead and leave now. Just leave go ahead down. and leave now. Sometimes right? we get reviews, and they'll, they'll like someone will be like, "I can't believe you said this or that," and it's like so mild. And I'm like, "You just are not for us." Like, you're well, not, yeah. It's not meant to be. This relationship nope. is not meant to be. No, nope. first away time now and save yourself a lot of heartache. <laughs> that's right. It's only that's get right. Worse. I love when people when people say stuff like that. I just want to be like, first time listener, huh? Okay. Cool, yeah. Cool, cool. <laughs> Made it about five minutes in before you once started. Right on. Right. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we have a, a like a superwoman detective in this, and Italy. I, I've noticed they're pretty aggressive. It seems like when it comes to investigating crimes like murders and things like that i I feel like they will go lengths that like we really can't do over here right um i feel feel like uh, our justice system and like the people over in america they're just like that's you're you're um, encroaching on my freedoms and stuff like that we won't let you like you're not going to just go out and test thousands of people's dna without probable cause here like over there they'll just do it dude you're just like you're giving me your dna and uh that's that's what's happening that's (laughs) what's happening yeah but it's also (laughs) a uh it's also a, a smaller knit town that this took place in as well. That's you true. know what I mean? A closer a closer community up in the mountains yeah. of Italy. So they were everyone kind of knew each other. Everyone everyone tended to be a little more straightforward. It kind of reminded me of Australia. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. Australians talk about how straightforward they are with each other. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of yeah. gossip, not a lot of bullshit being passed around. Like people may be talking about shit, but you can about bet your ass that the shit they're saying is the truth or pretty damn right. close. Right, because yeah, this this small town in in northern, the small town in northern Italy where this went down, it just seemed like the people wanted wanted answers. They felt like um, the the girl who was victimizing this was like all of their daughters type of thing, and like they were outraged and they wanted answers and they didn't care how many they wanted more people tested. You know, they they, there was no outrage as far as what the detective was doing, except they felt like she should have been doing more. So yeah, and they felt like this this yeah this shit doesn't happen in their town. Yeah, it was just unacceptable. Unacceptable. Even though, even though this whole case uncovers so many secrets in this little town. Oh my God, that's one um, thing I love too, right? It really like stirred up <laughs> the underworld. <laughs> like, yeah, it did. It wasn't as wholesome as we thought. Right, talking about going in that town and just smacking a couple bees' nests, bro. This was crazy. The stuff that got <laughs> uncovered. I mean, right? Yeah, it, this is a hell of a case, guys. So buckle yeah. up for this one. Very interesting. Yeah. So let's dive into it. Let's do it. It's in 
about people, to disdain gossip, and not to repeat nonsense. Piero Botticelli, a colorful local newspaper editor of the Era Barrara in Italy. Never cease to matter. Elephant in the room still grows fatter. Rumors and doubts start to scatter. Illusion of safety starts to shatter. What would you have me do? People around here ain't telling the truth. Listen what I'm telling you. No DNA, you ain't got no proof. Cases like this never cease to matter. Elephant in the room still grows fatter. Rumors and doubts start to scatter. Illusion of safety starts to shatter. A society to put the foundations of its self-worth and its obedience and loyalty to traditional Catholicism now suddenly found confessional whispers to be front page news. <laughs> I'm gonna find you. I know your daddy, your mama, your brother, too. I'm gonna find you. Believe me now, I'm telling the truth. I'm gonna find you. I know your daddy, your mama, your brother, too. I'm gonna find you. Believe me now, I'm telling, telling the truth. I'm gonna find you. I know your daddy, your mama, your brother, too. I'm gonna find you. Believe me now, I'm telling the truth. I'm gonna find you. I know your daddy, your mama, your brother too. I'm gonna find you. Believe me now, I'm telling, telling the truth, the truth. Our case this week is the murder of Yara Gambrazio, Gambirazio, um, who was uh, a young Italian girl. She was only 13 and uh, was making a short walk from her home um, to her dance studio or like a sports complex where she did her gymnastics right? and uh, went missing, never returned home and was later found dead. Very tragic. Um, and this was in a small northern town in Italy. Very tight knit community. We'll get into all of that, but yeah, it's it's some of the uh, study sources. Let's get into that. We used. I found this case just kind of looking around YouTube for something interesting, and I I stumbled upon to a YouTube channel called Criminally Listed, and they had put up a video called Three Murder Cases with Bizarre Twists, and this was the first one of the three, and I just was like blown away by this. I was like, how is this not? I know it's it's probably really well known in Italy, but over here I hadn't really heard of this case, and it was fascinating, and it was very similar in how it ended to the Golden State Killer, how the Golden State Killer was caught. It was done using GNA or DNA yes. genealogy, tracing, but much quicker, you know, much quicker, because like you said uh, at the beginning, they're a little more invasive with their DNA yeah. testing. So this all went much quicker <laughs> right. than the uh, Golden State Killer thing. Yeah. They just started testing all the males in the area, their DNA, thousands of people until they found someone very similar. We'll get into all of that. But yeah, they, right, they right. basically got someone similar DNA-wise to the suspect, and then they started working from there through a family tree of that family 
mm-hmm. um, until they stumbled onto the to the correct person. But then it uncovers, like you said, a lot more stuff, a lot more drama <laughs> yeah. within the community, um, and some dark undertones. Um, even though they had this this kind of picturesque vibe in this town, everyone seemed to be wholesome, uh, family centric, and uh, religious, Catholic. Right. Um, but yeah, there was some sexual undertones and some. Uh, what would you say? They were a little, a little promiscuous, more promiscuous yeah. than you would think. A little bit of infidelity going on in the community. Yeah. 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 So, um, also, uh, I used uh, a great article that was done on this case from theguardian.com. The article was called the. Uh, what is it? Hold on, I'm pulling it up right now. I think it's called the murder that has obsessed Italy. Yeah. Let's see. The murder that has obsessed Italy, exactly, um, yeah. through The Guardian. And a fantastic article, really long. is like a miniature book, almost. And I used a lot of that article for the information for this case. So thanks to those sources. And let's dive into it. So uh, Yara Gambrezio, Gambrezio um, we're going to butcher a lot of Italian names in this, cities, people's <laughs> names, all that. So just get used to it. Um, she, <laughs> right. She was born May 21st, 1997. And shares a birthday with Biggie Smalls and Mr. T. I pity oh, the fool. Shit. Damn. Yeah, that's an all-star little cast Two right there. Two all-time greats right there in their yeah, own realm. Seriously. Hell yeah. Biggie Smalls. I mean, come on. Biggie Smalls, one of the greats, man. One of the one of the godfathers of rap. Yep. Yeah, hell yeah. I love going back and watching videos of him doing like street battles in New York in the Bronx and stuff back in the day. Oh yes. Dude, he was so good. He was like legitimately a badass. Yes, he was. I saw not this just one recording video. artists, but also in the streets, just a just a old school rapper. Right. I, I saw this guy on YouTube, and he was like a he's like a music major, and um, I was watching some old videos like that. But he was what he did was he did this video breaking down different rhythms and speech patterns that rappers use, and there's like all these major ones right now nowadays. There's like. Mm-hmm. It, it, you have to be like a super like hip hop nerd, to, I guess, to know this type of stuff. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know all the logistics of it. But there are different rhyming patterns, right, and different different word rhythms and stuff like that. And so many of them have been attributed to Biggie Smalls. Like so many, like he and he was the first to do like half like a, a pioneer. Like, yes, it, it was unreal. Like looking through there and being like, oh shit, he was the first one to do that and that. And that rhythm, and then he's like, oh, yeah, and then in this song, you can hear how he goes from, you know, rhyming every such-and-such word to every blah-blah-blah or whatever, and it's just, there's a lot to it, man, and it just came natural for him. It was just just a normal thing. He just could feel it. He could feel all the intricacies of the beat and where to place words, and he was just, he was just gifted in that. He was just one of those special human beings that when they were born, they just are different and Mm -hmm. just better at shit, whatever they're special at. Yep. You're probably never going to beat him at it, you know? That's right. Yeah, so as we mentioned, um, Yara was born in 1997, and she grew up in the small town, this beautiful, picturesque town of Brembate di Sopra in northern Italy, and it only had a population of about 7,000 people. So very small, Just and this town is just gorgeous. When you look at video of it, it's everything you picture about Italy, all the good parts. <laughs> right. You see why the people took pride in this area, in this town. Yeah. They worked hard to make this place look the way it did and feel the way yeah, it did. Yeah, I think it was the kind of town that was weary of outsiders. Like, they, they they wanted everybody to be around for generations. It was a very, you know, it, there was families that kind of were known in these towns for generations. Like, their names were almost, you would have them, like, uh, engraved somewhere. And we see that right, an example right. of that later on. Yeah, yeah, I got you. 
So Brembate de Sopra was a serene place from its quiet streets lined with poplars and cypresses. And you can see the wooded mountains in the distance. It's quiet, close-knit, and rural where people watch out for each other. Family values are at the forefront. Um, just, yeah, just, it, it's like an ideal childhood. It's, it's almost like a movie, like a fairy tale. You know, I she know. has a very loving family, and this, this town that she grew up in is gorgeous. She has friends. She has things she's into, which we'll get into in a minute. Right. But, uh, it, it just seemed, it seemed like it took place longer ago. You know, for this to only take place yeah. in 2010 was surprising to me because the way that she would walk to her gymnastics alone, mm-hmm. her gymnastics class alone, or walk to school alone, or whatever, all these different things, it's just like, man, in 2010, a 13-year-old right. look girl? Nah, no. Nah. <laughs> it's like most right. places, that's not happening. It's like, no, nah, I'll drive you. Just just hold on. <laughs> like you're exactly. not walking around by yourself everywhere. But this was normal in this in this town. I mean, people knew each other. And like we said, she was a generational family. So she was very connected in, in this uh, community. Exactly. And so Yara, in, who in 2010 was 13 years old, with curly, dark hair, and braces, was very serious about school and gymnastics, and she had, as we mentioned, a very loving family. The family had lived in the area for generations. Her father, her father Fulio, was an architect, and her mother, Mara, was a teacher. Together, Fulio and Mara had four children. The oldest daughter, Kiba, who was 15, Yara, who we mentioned is 13, and Yara had two younger brothers. The family had two young sons, Natan and Gioli. Um, and so, yeah, this is kind of the, the setting and the setup for this case. Um, and it all kind of begins on Friday, the 26th of November in 2010. Um, so yeah, just, just after Thanksgiving then, um, yep. it, during the holidays, I, I didn't even consider that kind of makes it even more tragic. Yeah. This was probably um, like Black Friday for that year. Yeah. I don't know if they do that over in Italy in small towns in Northern right. Italy. Probably not. <laughs> right. No, no, no. That's a, that's kind of an American thing. Yeah. Here in America, we're all worried about buying a DVD. Yeah. We're player. fighting over a cheap and flat screen a, TV and yeah. they were fa- focusing on their families. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta um, get the. I gotta get in line for the Game Boy Color. I gotta yeah. get that Westington House thirty-two uh, inch TV for twelve dollars. <laughs> Westington House. <laughs> yes, piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Westington House. If you ever want to sponsor us, we'll talk good about your TV. <laughs> right, but Vizio, you can go to hell. The color is just amazing. No, <laughs> the refresh rate is mind blowing. Right, we're talking seven twenty p high quality. Right. <laughs> You can't even see all the pixels. <laughs> right. Just, just streamless. <laughs> right. All right. So, yeah, the, um, Friday, November 26th of 2010, Yara was gearing up for her rhythmic, rhythmic gymnastics competition the following Sunday. She had a big meet coming up, a big uh, competition to show off her gymnastic skills. Right. And she was spending a lot of her time preparing for that. She spent that day, however, that Friday um, with her family and had planned to make a quick trip down the street after dinner to the sports complex where she did her training for her gymnastics. Um, she'd done this trip so many times, as we mentioned, like walk back and forth. It's only a half a mile away. Um, right. All she needed to do this evening was take this short walk down to the sports complex and drop off a stereo to her instructor, which she had borrowed. Um, and I think she also had plans to kind of hang out with her friends and, and do a little bit of training as well. Um, but it yeah, was supposed that, to be a short trip. I think trip that was confirmed parents. that she did some light training that day as well before she went back home. So that kind yeah, of, and, you know, and her parents probably knew that too. She's like, she's not going to go to the gym and not do a little bit of training. So, exactly. I, yeah, so I don't think they uh, were too alarmed at her not returning home immediately. Yeah, they, but they were expecting her back within a couple hours because they, they weren't right. sure they wanted her back, you know, before it got too dark and all that. She didn't, they didn't want her walking 
you know, through the streets in the middle of the night. Right. Um, so, yeah, as we mentioned, she'd made this walk many times before. This evening, she said goodbye to her family, who knew where she was going, and left the house on foot at 5.15 p.m. The sports complex was, as we mentioned, less than a half mile away from her home, and she made it to the sports complex a short time later, where she trained for a bit, hung out with friends, um, before leaving and heading home at about 6.44 p.m. And we know she left around 6.44 p.m. because she sent a text to one of her friends, I believe that was at the sports complex, saying, see you next week at the, you know, see you Sunday Right. Uh, for the competition. Um, and that was the last time that anyone had heard from her because um, she never made it home. So it was at 6.44 p.m. that was the last correspondence she had with anyone. She does not make it home. By 7 p.m., her mother, Mara, was very concerned that her daughter had not made it home. At 7.11, she texted Yara with no response. Then they began to panic full on, the, the parents. And at 7.30, Yara's father ended up calling the police. The call was put through to the public prosecutor's office in the center of Bergamo, um, a city seven miles east of Brimbate de Sopra, the town that, in which Yara lived with her family. Right. So seven miles away, they get a call that in uh, Brimbate de Sopra, you know, this young girl has not come home. And this, is, they get, this family gets the response that we all hope we get. I was just about to say, there was, there was no waiting 48 hours for this. No. For this. Like they, and it's because they knew, right? In a tight-knit yeah. community like this, if someone calls someone that they probably knew and had seen around town or at least knew of their family, they're calling and they're saying, listen, my daughter was just, you know, half a block away and she was supposed to be here and she's not. And I just text like, and they take that serious. It's not, oh, well, she's probably just a runaway, you know, right. or let's wait 48 hours to see if she turns up. There was none of that. They got right on it with this case. Yeah. And that's, that's another big difference between uh, apparently what they do in Italy and what we do here in America. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, you get they got the like four alarm fire response they were hoping for when you have a child that uh, that doesn't come home, you know, a right. young thirteen year old girl and she doesn't come home. It, it was like immediately, the police sprung to action. The magistrate on duty was Letizia, Letizia Ruggieri, um, and this is the superwoman that we talked about. She was like this. She was like superwoman detective, like it, it, the dream team type yes, of detective was. that was just sleepless and would would do anything to get um to get the perpetrator of this crime and then try and get the daughter home to the family um, extremely well-rounded as well yeah she was a badass so we'll, we'll right? describe her a little bit so Rajiri, um she was a tough former policewoman who had earned her stripes fighting uh costa nostra if you don't know what that is that's the italian mob in sicily she had been a magistrate for almost 15 years and knew what needed to be done. She was unconventional, a single mother with this long salt and pepper hair, five earrings in her left ear. She played classical guitar, rode to work on an old Vespa, and had a black belt in karate. <laughs> so, my fucking hero. <laughs> fucking badass, right? Oh, my right? gosh. Have you guys, have you ever rode a Vespa before? Dude, like, it's fun. It's just fun. It just put, puts a smile on your face. I don't care well, what you say. <clears throat> well, people think they're mopeds. Those things are not mopeds. Those things will do like 85 miles an hour. They're not serious? mopeds. Okay, yes. so I haven't rode a Vespa. I've rode a moped, which put a huge okay. smile on my face, so I can only imagine a Vespa. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. They're not mopeds. No, no, no. These are, these are legit cycles in Italy. This, this, uh, this guy that lived next door to my parents growing up, he was an older gentleman. He was an artist. Uh, he had been all over the world. He traveled and knew people from all over, and he had two legit Vespas in his building, like legit um, Those things are probably really valuable now, like to have in America, right? Yeah. Well, he wanted like like a legit one. I think he eventually put them up for sale, and I think he got thirty thirty five hundred or four grand each 
for them, okay. yeah, which is pretty, pretty crazy for a small motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I took one of them things for a spin. Holy shit. Not a moped. <laughs> Not a moped, my friend. That's the way to go, um, too, in Europe. In a lot of like small European towns is where like yeah. the roads are real small, and it's just like hard to find yeah. anywhere to park and all that. So yeah. Yeah. Cool vehicles, though. So yeah, uh, we mentioned uh, Ruggieri and uh, what a badass she was, and, and thankfully the, the family got her as a detective, even though there was a lot of criticism on the community's part at times of her her uh, job investigating this, because it took some time, but it was it, this was something that probably shouldn't have been solved. Like in, mo- in almost any other scenario, in any other town or uh, country, this, this crime would have gone unsolved. You the lengths so? that Ruggieri went to. Even even with DNA evidence, do you think it would have went unsolved? Well, I think it would have went unsolved for, for a lot longer, at the very least, until they, until the perpetrator did something else and his DNA was taken, and then they were able to match it. But I think it would have been twenty, thirty years, and maybe never, because this guy, who we'll find out later, I mean, who who knows if he would have? I don't know that he was a necessarily uh, like a serial killer type of guy right. or if it was just a one-off situation we don't know but <clears throat> until they got him and tested his dna later and matched it i think that's the only time they would have caught but the lengths that she went to to catch him now mm-hmm. you know i don't think that would have been done in most scenarios okay yeah yeah you're probably right it would have took a lot longer yeah so within minutes of the family calling the police uh Ruggieri had been dispatched to both uh, had dispatched both state police officers and military police to brim Brimbate de Sopra, Yara's gym instructor, uh, was interviewed right away and confirmed that she had seen the teenager earlier that day and that she had done some light training before heading off. Um, that would have been around 6.44 p.m., as we mentioned. The police quickly established that the last known contact with Yara was that text message at 6.44 p.m., agreeing to meet at 8 a.m. the following Sunday for their competition. The gym was part of a large sport complex, a garish building with many entrances and exits, um, besides the large sports hall, there was a running track, a swimming pool, and various courts. Um, so many places for someone, I guess, a perpetrator to hide or someone to be hidden. Um, a very large complex. Few people said that they had seen two men possibly in conversation with Yara standing near a red car, but there was little more to go on than that. Um, so they're kind of in the dark here. There's not, they, need, they need some more information. They need someone to step up. Um, and, and they got to be real aggressive here because time, as we know, is of the essence when someone goes missing like this. Right. Uh, Ruggieri called in tracker dogs. Instead of following the expected route back to Yara's home, um, Ruggieri's dogs went the opposite direction towards a small village near uh, nearby called Mapello. So not a good sign. Like she's going in the opposite direction of her home, according to these dogs. Right. When the team analyzed the last signals from Yara's cell phone, the result showed that it had been present in Mapello at 6.49 that evening. So just five to ten minutes after she left the complex, she was seen in this you know, village nearby in the opposite direction of her home. Her phone confirms this. Everything seemed to point away from Yara's family, but the investigations of this type always start at home. So over the next few days, Ruggieri and her team questioned every member of the Gambarazio family, looking for signs of discord or dark secrets. Of course, they found nothing. This family actually was very wholesome, and they were a normal family that was very distraught and desperate to get their daughter back. So it must have been frustrating for them, you know, being kind of dug into by the investigators and, you know, considered suspects initially um, when they all they want. It's got to be very frustrating when your loved one, like you say your daughter is missing and the police are spending all their efforts initially to kind of find holes in your story or 
well, find any kind of secrets you're that, hiding. And it's like, dude, you're wasting time. I, I get that that's what has to be done, but it, I just I just think it has to be very frustrating when you know you didn't do it. It, it yeah, I'm sure it does. I mean, if, and if the cops are doing that, if they are putting pressure on you in a way and trying to find find things that aren't there, that could be frustrating. But if they're just spending time with you to try to get to know your daughter more and know the things that she had and things like that, I feel like I would appreciate that as a family. I'm like, yes, right. yeah, sure, come get to know us, know what's going on, know her habits, know where she would and would not have went because the more that they get to know her, the more empathy they're going to show towards her, and then hopefully the more they'll be driven to, to solve the case. You know what I mean? The more time, yeah, I mean, I feel like if I was working a case, the more time I spent around the family that was suffering, the more I'd want to solve that case. Very true. So it, it's kind of a, and I feel like Rajiri. If that was in fact the way that they were approaching it. Well, I that, feel like Rajiri. But there are, we've be. seen times before where the investigators zone in on a family member that had nothing to do with it. Yeah. And the family yeah. member's losing their mind because like you're wasting time on me right now when you could be out there finding the real person that did this. Oh yeah, we definitely seen uh, law enforcement zoom in on people, and uh, we've seen tunnel vision before many times, like Greg Kelly. Yeah, when we just did on Patreon. Yeah. So Rajiri put uh, after kind of like looking into the family and and deciding that it was probably um, a waste of time because the family that she believed you know she needed to branch out and look further beyond the family. Right. Um, Rajiri ended up putting wiretaps on hundreds of phones. Um, her team also tried to trace the owners of all the cell phones, some 15,000 which had passed through Mapello on the day of Yara's disappearance. And this is what I was alluding to earlier with the aggressiveness of the investigation tactics in Italy, what they can get away with. You would not get away with this in America, just Dude. wiretapping randomly 15,000 people's phones. No. Um, so many people or, are not, not necessarily wiretapping 15,000, but like tracing 15,000 people's phones without probable cause. Good luck with that. Oh, dude, people would be losing their shit. Right. It's my first amendment. A lot of right. lawsuits. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to know when I go to the swap meet. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. People would be up in arms about that real quick in America. Yeah. yeah. So even with all these aggressive tactics, though, autumn slipped into winter and Brembate de Sopra found itself at the center of a mystery which had captured the county's, the country's imagination. Italian TV would become captivated by the case, and national camera crews descended on the small town. Uh, the Gambaracio family were horrified by the sudden publicity as TV cameras became a permanent fixture in their quiet cul-de-sac. The family locked themselves away, lowering their shutters and even turning down the, uh, turning, uh, turning down the idea of a torchlight procession to raise awareness. They asked instead only for privacy and patience. So they were not into the, the media spotlight that came along with this. Right. They didn't feel like it really helped find their daughter. It was only just making a circus out of the whole situation. Yep. And it goes back to this, the way that these people are. Um, you mean the so, family uh, I mean, we'll or you mean the, the media? The community and I think the, okay. their culture in this small town in northern Italy. Yeah, they were um, not about quote that. From, uh, yeah, here's a quote from somebody who kind of knew more about it. Yeah, he was an editor of the uh, newspaper at the time, a guy named Piero Bonacelli. Um, he says, quote, it's in the spirit of mountain people to, dis- to disdain gossip and not repeat nonsense. Um, if I don't know something, I have only heard it said. I don't say anything until I'm certain it's true. So you could see why the family wouldn't be a big fan of That's this good media motto. circus and all that. And it's, it, Like I said, it kind of goes back to their culture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a good motto right there, man. I mean, I doubt... It's a good way to live, I think. I doubt it's true for most people there, or in general, right. but... Uh, it's a good motto to try to live by. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So on the, off on the afternoon of February 26, 2011, exactly three months after Yara disappeared, a middle-aged man was flying his remote-controlled plane in the small town of Chignolo de Solo. This is, de like, Sola. this is like how the movie would start if there was a movie about this. Oh, right? 100%. This, this is, old man's flying his, yeah. his uh, little plane around. Yeah. Just starts all um, in. And of like course, this. yeah. And this is six miles south of Br uh, Brimbate de Sopra, Yara's hometown. The model airplane wasn't functioning as Scotty wanted, though, so he brought it down to earth near some tall weeds. As he picked up his plane, he caught sight of some rags on the ground nearby. Then he saw shoes. So, like you said, this is definitely the way the movie would open if you made a film about this case. Yep. The old man slowly walking through this thick brush, and then he spots some shoes. Right, yeah, of exactly. Course. Um, Ruggieri was coming back uh, from a day skiing with her daughter when she got the call that a body had been found. She dropped her daughter at home and went straight to the crime scene. The body was an advanced state of decomposition. As we said, it was three months after um, Yara had went missing. But Ruggieri could see the black bomber jacket with its elastic waist, uh, which Yara had been wearing the day she left her home in November. There, too, was also her kitty, uh, Hello Kitty sweatshirt. Um, crime scene investigators found Yara's iPod and house keys, as well as a SIM card and battery for her LG phone. The phone itself was missing, so the perpetrator had... Uh, uh, pretty much it's apparently had taken the phone and the, I mean the battery and the SIM card out of the phone and then taken the phone. It's kind of weird. Don't you, don't you think you would do the opposite, like leave the phone and then take the SIM card and the battery? Well, that's the stuff that's important, right? Well, I don't know. The phone is just like a device for the information's actually on the SIM card. You would think you'd want to well, destroy that. Well, not, not really. You mean your, uh, like your mobile information and your service and all that shit's on your SIM card, but pictures and, uh, Lo uh, locations, all that stuff itself. would be saved on the phone hard drive. Yeah. So, yeah. so taking the battery, I mean, but why not just destroy the whole thing? I think it was more thing? just a matter, not as much. I don't think the perpetrator cared, cared as much about what was found on the phone and whatnot. as more of just like didn't want the phone traced anytime soon. The longer that the, the phone was untraceable by having the battery removed and all that stuff, the SIM card removed, the longer it would take for um, police to find the body or anyone to find the body. Exactly. Exactly. So... Um, Detective Ruggiero said, It was a relief. Yara's disappearance had really disturbed me. I'm a mother, too, and the only thing worse than the death of a child is the disappearance of a child. So that unknown of knowing if she's still out there and being held captive by someone, um, in her opinion, is worse. And I think we agree. I, I don't know. But, it's, it's, of course, it's hard to put yourself in the shoes of the parents in this scenario. You never know how you'd feel. I, but. Think, that, I think that, honestly, honest to God, I think that depends on the person. I think some people yeah. would rather go day to day and still have that hope and then others yeah. others would rather just have closure. And they've already accepted a, the fact that their child is most likely dead. And they when so when they do find that body, they're like, Okay, finally I can let put them to rest and yeah. try to move on with my life. <clears throat> in a small in a very smaller scale much smaller scale, I'm kinda of going we're my wife and I are kinda of going through this right now where our cat has been missing for two weeks now mm -hmm. and we live in the mountains. So um, it, but in a way I'm kind of like, it's been easier for me because uh, I'm like, I still have it in my head that maybe she could come back. She has a cat, you know, you know how cats can be, they can disappear yes, for weeks on end sometimes and come back all scraggly and shit. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I know the likelihood where we live in the mountains, there's a lot of predators that she's, I'm kind of in a weird way, like presuming her dead. But at the same time, I haven't really, we haven't grieved about it because we still think there's a chance. My wife still puts out food for her every night, you know, and so it, I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird limbo. Right. Obviously nowhere near the same as a child being missing, but, um, yeah, I don't know how to feel about it. 
Right. I mean, she could just be. It's kind of easier, I think, than if I knew she was dead right now. You know. It would be easier. No, it's easier right now, I think, than if I knew she was dead because oh, I just yeah. don't know. It's, yeah. I think with an animal, yeah, you just kind of you kind of hope they always come it's back. It's different. It's different because they can fend for themselves. You know, a thirteen-year-old child, like, right. For three months, where would she be? You know yeah, what I mean? How like could you, she possibly you have be to assume it. it's nothing good? There's nothing good that could be happening. Whereas my cat could just be out there hiding in a bush, eating mice and stuff, and be fine. Shit, your cat could totally be totally different. Your cat could be uh, perched up on somebody else's front porch, eating eating uh, cat. Right. Well, I mean, it could have been just be in somebody's lappy and pet right now. Yeah, she's probably hanging out with that crazy cat lady that's like low key in your neighborhood that has like thirty yeah, cats right. that live under her house, and she was like, right. "This is the life," you know, just hanging out right. with these guys and eating. <laughs> Looking out the window at our house, like, look at that shitty place I used to live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah look at they got the they got <laughs> dogs too. God, those people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I feel almost dumb even bringing this whole scenario up. You know, considering that the the uh, it's it's just a completely different scenario. It is and, completely uh, different, it. but it, it's not uh, not to undermine relationships that you can have with your pets. Because man, yeah. if something happened to my dog. I would be, right. I'd be messed up for a few days, like no joke. Like I feel like that that animal loves me. You know what I'm saying? And I love him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, there's just some animal connections, and it can be cats. I mean, I know I joke about cats all the time, man, but people love cats. People obviously love cats. Yeah. So I mean, it would be it would be much more intense if it was my 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 lab that we've had for oh, a decade. If it was Maddie, bro. That we'd, dog we'd is a much a deeper party. connection with her than within with our cat. Yeah, my dog Maddie, man. I, we and her. Yeah. Is a, yeah, it's a tight love connection there for sure. I know how you feel, man. And I'd probably be spending every waking moment looking for her. Yep. If she was missing, out as there opposed calling to my cat. Her, where it's yeah. like, I know I'm never going to find the cat if I go look for her. First of all, like, she's going to hide even if I walk right by her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> whereas Maddie, I know she would, I could just yell and she would come running, you know, so right. it's different. But Which would make you even more worried about it because, right. you know what I mean? Like when a dog goes missing, especially a loyal dog, a loyal, intelligent dog goes missing, you know something something happened to that dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And same yeah, thing same that. thing with a child, you know? When mm-hmm. when a child who's living a good life like Kara was and had everything going for her and seemed to have a great home life and everything else, and when this child goes missing, something happened. Something's going on. Something's weird. I think yeah. that's why... Yeah. She wants to be home. In. She doesn't want to be away. Right, exactly. It's, yeah. So you know, yeah, you know. So and in this case, as we as we now know, after her body was found, it was not a not a good ending, and now they had to find answers for for what had happened to her, and they had to use you know her, her body and what they could find and, and physical evidence to try and capture whoever did this horrific crime to her. Um, so the autopsy of Yara discovered traces of Lyme um, in her respiratory passages and the presence of jute, a vegetable fiber used to make rope on her clothing. So this, they use this as kind of a means to determine maybe that the perpetrator may have been in the construction trade. Right. Because um, some of the stuff that they found on her, these, these substances. She hadn't been raped, although her bra was unhooked. She had suffered multiple stab wounds, which, she had pierced, which had pierced her clothing at various points. It seemed as though she had been attacked and abandoned, which she later died of exposure, which is just horrific. God, doesn't that you know, just the, the add... The perpetrator couldn't even kill her, and like they had to leave her there to, to suffer longer. But doesn't that even add more questions to this case? It's like, what is the motive here? Like, she wasn't sexually assaulted. Nothing was stolen. They left all this stuff. So, th- so you just wanted to stab a 13-year-old girl and leave her in a field? What, what is this? There are those... We've seen them before, those sadists, those sexual sadists where they connect violence with... with uh, Sex and a lot of times it doesn't even. 
you know, it sounds gross, but penetration doesn't even have to occur for them. It's almost like the knife penetrating is is what gets them off That's in a weird way. Yeah. We've seen those That's those true. characters before. That's true. There's a very dangerous individual that, that we're dealing with here that <sighs> has to be you taken just, off the street. You just don't think the, the chances of one of those people... You just think the chances of one of those people being in a town of 7,000 is just very slim, right? Right. But, oh, it's so scary to think that there may be one... Or maybe two. Right, because the effect 7, on a, such a small community, the risk that you're at when such a small community, when there is one of those guys out there. Exactly, exactly. And then, and then if his, if his target is uh, young girls, and then now it's even smaller, right? Then you're narrowing then it down. Narrowing even, it yeah, down. then, then like, you're talking out of seven thousand. What do you have? Maybe five hundred of the people that would fit into his criteria. Exactly, exactly. So that's how it starts getting real scary real fast. Yeah. So yeah, as we mentioned, the presence of Lyme and Jute suggested the killer might be in construction. The forensics team retrieved two DNA samples, one from Yara's phone battery and the other from two fingers on her black gloves, but neither matched any samples the authorities had on record. So they did have a, a, basically a profile for a male DNA that they were going to use at length here. Two months later in April, the commander of the Scientific Investigations Department called Ruggieri and told her that they had found male DNA on the underwear of the deceased. So they, they had this profile now. Ruggieri and her team named the murder suspect Ignato One, or we'll call uh, Unknown One, because right. Ignato in uh, Italian is unknown. So right. that's what this uh, this DNA profile, this this perpetrator that they didn't know, obviously that's why they went by Unknown One for this person. Now the hunt for Yaris Killer could truly begin now that they had this DNA profile. They could start testing in mass for people to fi- try and find a match or someone close enough to a match that they could then work from there. Right. Now a small town comes in handy. Now you're like, now you're exactly. getting excited. Yeah. Now you're like, okay. Try doing this in Los Angeles. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, now now you're looking at the small town going, okay, now we got our, we're just a matter of time. You know what I'm saying? Just a yeah. matter of time from now because we're going to figure out who this is. And plus so many, like we said, so many families and people that lived here were generational. So, so many people were connected. Yep. You know what I mean? Everybody came from big families. So if you could find someone who was just close... <laughs> that definitely played into this now that you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole generational family thing. Mm-hmm. All you had to do was find someone whose uh, DNA was very close, right. as we mentioned, and then work from there down their family tree, which is what investigators eventually do. That's right. So they began taking DNA samples from family members, from school friends, and people in the gym. So they started with people that would have been around Yara which is smart. smart. Meanwhile, the military police concentrated on the phone records, cross-referencing the mobile phones that had been uh, that had moved from Brembate de Sopra to Chingnolo de Sola, um, so the two areas where Yara would have been on the day of the murder. November 26, 2010, each phone um, whose user number appeared in both cells and tra- was tracked down and asked for a DNA sample. So anybody who traveled from one location to the next where Yara was on that day, they, they got their DNA tested, whether they liked it or not. Right. Um, I'm sure most of them did it willingly because, like we said, this community was shooken by this crime and they wanted answers. And if you know you didn't do it, you wanted to help, you know, whittle yourself out of the the investigation and help the police narrow things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So it was slow and tedious work. It took uh, geneticists a minimum of six hours to transform just a few samples of DNA into something which could be read and compared on a computer screen. The cost was immense and the investigation would go on to become one of the most expensive manhunts in Italian history. So Gosh. sparing no expense to try and find this killer. And I think it was not only just to get closure for Yara's family, 
but also to get this dangerous person off the streets in this small town, as we mentioned, where everyone's at much more of a risk right. with someone like this out there. Right. And with uh, Ragiri being a mother as well, I think she's trying to send a message, right? She doesn't want yeah. this type of killer out. She's she's a mother. She has young children. She doesn't want this to stand, and she doesn't want the people to know that this type of attack can stand and, and there's any chance of getting away with this type of thing you know, under her jurisdiction. So I think this was exactly, and then now it's national news. So you're under. And I think the community was fine with uh, all the spending too going on. I think they they were totally fine to get this get this creep off the streets. Dude, there's so many American families that would kill for that type of investigation for their children. Yeah, man, hundred percent. And community, and you could do GoFundMe here and and fund like whatever needed to be done to find someone like this. I think you'd get a lot of money, a lot of donations. Oh, in in Italy? No, here, like anywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like if it came down to a funding issue, like where where you know the investigators couldn't be as aggressive to find this this uh, sexual killer that was uh, a target targeting young girls. Would mm-hmm. I, I would donate to it? Yeah, catch this fucker. Yeah, exactly. Especially if it's in your area, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you have 100%. and you have a girl. You know, if you if you have daughters, mm-hmm. a daughter or daughters. Uh, yep. Yeah, man, you're definitely going to be trying to fight for this cause. Yeah. So by the time of Yara's funeral, investigators had taken thousands of DNA samples, but they still had no leads, unfortunately. Ruggieri and her team turned their attention to a nightclub called Sabi Mobili, or um, in, Amer- in, in uh, English, it's translated to quicksand. So this, this nightclub called Quicksand was in close proximity to the scrubland where Yara's body had been found. The club also had a reputation for being rowdy and playing host to questionable characters. There had actually been a murder perpetrated right in front of the club. Um, not too long before this. Yeah, but show me a and bar so or a club, this, but a murder hasn't happened. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. But it was cl- yeah. it was uh, in oh, close proximity, you. as we mentioned, to where she was found, and there was some sketchy characters, so they thought this might be a good uh, center point to start a new uh, grouping of tests of DNA yeah. of male subjects. Yeah, why not? People Very smart, I yeah, think. Yeah, people like to return and to the areas that they, they like to hunt. Yep. And so this does this does end up paying off. So Ruggieri knew that murderers tend to dump bodies in areas which they're very familiar. So in the spring of 2011, investigators started taking DNA samples outside of the club on busy Fridays and Saturdays. Um, and it helped that clubbers required a membership to get in. And so the authorities could easily track down anyone who went there regularly. So they didn't even have to be at the, at the club to get tested. They could have just been a regular customer there. Right. And they would get tracked down. So this is where Ruggieri finally got a break. One of the samples from the nightclub seemed to striking seemed strikingly similar to the suspect, unknown one. The man who gave the sample was named Dominio Diamano G Guerino. <laughs> you say this one. I can't uh, do it. I'm gonna say Damiano Girioni. There we go. Girinoni. Garinoni. Garinoni. That's what Garinoni. Garinoni. All right. Okay. We'll go with that. We'll call him Garanoni from here on out. Garanoni. All right. Sounds delicious. Sounds like a macaroni. Yeah, it does. Mm. You going to finish your Garanoni? You ever had some of that Garanoni macaroni? Right. Tremendous. <laughs> hey, pass the Parmesan for right. my Garanoni. <laughs> I don't know if this is like a racist conversation or what. I have no, I have no idea. I'm sure it's teetering. Let's just because they're Italian, they make macaroni now, or just being dicks. Well, I mean, probably. I mean, it's pasta. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I feel like we're offending them if we don't say that they make good pasta. I, I don't know. Yeah. Let's just move on with this. For we, we're, I think if you we're had, if you line. heard my last name, you'd probably think I made some good uh, schnitzel or something. <laughs> it's fine with me. I don't really care. <laughs> it's fine. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. So they probably are not offended. They're fine. They're they're tough skin skin people, right? Those Italians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so although he was quickly excluded as a suspect, so uh, Guerononi, um, they tested him. They sound they saw that his uh, DNA was very similar, but he was able to provide an alibi that he had been in South America on the day of Yara's disappearance. Um, however, geneticists were convinced that he was a close relative of the murderer. So as we mentioned, they, they, all they had to do was find someone very similar, and then they could assume that the, the murderer was a family member of that person, and they could start tracing down the family tree and, and testing everybody, much like what we saw in the Golden State Killer case. Yes. Oh, sweet justice. Um, yeah, they didn't have 23andMe to their disposal necessarily with Yara's case, but they could just physically go with a small town and now having a family they could just that they could use. Um, they, they could just keep tracking down everybody close in DNA to this person until they got an exact match. Right. Match. Um, Ruggieri said, we were all very excited. We said, bingo, just a couple more days and we'll have the murderer. If only it was that simple, right? Yeah, right. She should have known better. <laughs> Everything takes time with this stuff. Yeah, she just got excited. She got excited. Yeah, and there were still some more twists to come in this case. Mm -hmm. um, so as Ruggieri and her team had put together the jigsaw of Guirinani's family, they made an astonishing discovery. Um, Guirinani's mother, the mother of this uh, person who had a pretty close match in DNA to the to murderer, um, uh, her name was Aurora Zani. Uh, she had worked for 10 years as a caretaker on the Gambrazio home. Uh, she lived nearby and had gone to Yara's home twice a week throughout the young girl's childhood. So she was like a, another mother figure to Yara. Right. This is startling and shocking. However, it is a small town, as we mentioned, and it seems like everybody kind of knows each other. Mm -hmm. um, but this lady was apparently a relative of whoever killed Yara. That must be just the worst thing ever. You loved this little girl. You were a caretaker for her for a decade, treated her like a daughter, and then you find out not only was she murdered brutally, but it's somebody in your... Somebody in, in your, your lineage, it's, some, it's a family member of yours, right. possibly a nephew or something along those lines. Then you kind of has done it. Then you kind of start to blame yourself. It's like, who did I talk to her? Uh, who did I talk to about her? You know, or who did yeah. I expose in my family to this family? You know, it's, it, she had to have been feeling just a huge weight of guilt finding out about that and thinking, exactly. you know, is it is it one of my sons? Is it is it is it a brother? Is it a a, a father? I yep. mean, it's just crazy. The thoughts that must be going through yep. your mind. Because they know it's male at this point. Right. So Zanny was a middle-aged woman who was very attached to her employer. She recalled how Yara would always ask her to watch her latest gymnastics moves, but Zanny would tell her to, to be careful and not hurt herself. In 2011, she was no longer working for the family, but, she, but her relationship with Yara's parents was excellent still. Um, to find herself at the center of the investigation into Yara's murder was, Zanny later said, quote, the worst thing that could happen to me. Ruggieri began intercepting Damiano, uh, Girononi, and Aurora Zanni's calls, as well as following and grilling them. So they were laying into them, trying to find out, you know, who could have been involved, and in wondering if they knew who may, if they were maybe protecting who did this, someone in their family. Right. Um, it was only after a month of months of close surveillance that Ruggieri, in the summer of 2011, resigned herself to the fact that quote, it was just a crazy coincidence. There was no connection. She says. You couldn't make it up. This whole case, it was just crazy. So, although it was apparently a family member, they were not this. It, she was convinced now that the family member was not someone that uh, Zanny was around uh -huh. um, or was protecting at this point. Or aware of. Or even aware oh. of, yeah. Pretty crazy stuff. 
So the only promising lead they had still was the fact that uh, Damiano Gironi's DNA was so similar to that of Unknown One, and they knew that he was related to this person. Right. A year on, a year on from Yara's murder, Ruggieri's team was now under intense pressure to find the killer. Thousands of people were being DNA tested, and some locals who hadn't been approached for a sample suggested to the press that the investigation was haphazard. So like we said, they were the community was mad that more people weren't being tested. They weren't worried about... <laughs> hey, so you never tested me. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what if I did <laughs> hey, it? You, you never know. I <laughs> you wouldn't even know. Sometimes I do a sleep a walking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Ruggieri decided to concentrate on the only promising lead she had, the Girononi DNA. Her team spent months generating uh, the Girononi... God, I struggle with this one. Girononi family tree. So they start, like, you know mapping out who, everybody that's connected to this uh, to this person who tested so po- so closely mm-hmm. to the suspect. The investigators had worked out a complete genog- uh, genealogical tree as far back as 1815. Damn. With other branches of the family going back as far as 1716. Holy crap. I the wish I, of, somebody could do that for me. Wouldn't it be cool to yeah, like, right? trace your family lineage back to 1716? Holy shit. All the way back over to Europe and whatnot. Right. It'd be crazy that, to see exactly where you came from. That would be insane. Yeah. Well, maybe what, what's uh, Ancestry.com? Maybe we'll get a sponsorship from them one of these days. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, ske- I'm sketched out by those sites now. Yeah, right. I don't know what they're using that um, DNA So the for. roots of the family tree were in the small village of Gorno. It's only 45 minutes drive from uh, north of Bergamo itself. Um, the same families had been there for centuries, and on the village's war memorial outside the small church, the names of Benedetto and Pietro Guerinoni are carved into the stone. The Guerinoni family were considered by everyone to be loyal, strong, and even hot-headed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Damiano Guerinoni's father and, uh, had a brother, Giuseppe, who died in 1999, and so they, they wanted to test. Uh, they wanted some DNA from Giuseppe. Um, the father of Diamano, who had tested so closely to the suspect. Right. So investigators visited Giuseppe's widow on September of 2011 and found two two stamps that he had licked, one in order to validate his driver's license and another on a postcard he had sent to his family. When DNA results came back from that sample, they had another breakthrough. Geneticists were convinced that Giuseppe Guerinoni was the father of unknown one, the suspected murder, which would make... Yeah, oh, crazy, which would oh. would make the killer the brother of Damamano, the guy that they had initially found right. had such close ties. But however, you know, he was out of the country at the time, so it couldn't have been him, but it's a, it's apparently his brother. Yeah. Because they share, they share the same father. Yep. So, mm. so yeah, now they're, they're, they're really make, having breakthroughs. They're getting closer and closer. Um Ruggieri's team quickly built a, a picture of Giuseppe Girononi and his family. Giuseppe himself, a thick-set man with a rugged face, had been a bus driver. His marriage to Laura Poli had seemed conventional. They had three children, a girl and two boys. So here we go. There's two boys. There's two boys. So um, there's another one to test. Laura had become a Jeho- Jehovah's Witness, and after her husband's death, had moved to a nearby town in uh, Cluson. Since unknown one was male, investigators concentrated on the sons, uh, Pierapolo Paolo and Diego Pierapolo uh, was like his mother, a Jehovah's Witness, but Diego had a drug problem. So mm-hmm. they got two new uh, men to uh, test. Unfortunately, the case hit another wall when neither provided a perfect match for unknown one, and oh, neither of them shit. had children. Say what now? 
So where do you go from here? <laughs> Somebody where you got go from secrets, here is bro. you got to look a little closer at Giuseppe. Uh-huh. Good old Giuseppe may not have been as wholesome and um, as uh, loyal of a husband. Which as, sucks because you know, he was known. Giuseppe almost got away with it because he was dead. He died in 99, right? right? He almost got away with it if it wasn't for this. If only he didn't uh, go go off having an affair and birth, end up... Uh, Getting a pregnant woman, uh, getting a woman pregnant who would birth a little rapist killer son. Yeah, you know that's the only thing that got him. Yeah, got him ousted. One little mistake. <laughs> yeah, just grew and grew. Holy yep. shit! Yeah, so they test the two sons. Neither of them um, test uh, match the uh, the killer. So if unknown one was really the son of the late Giuseppe Grunoni, the only explanation was that some out, somewhere out there was an illegitimate child who was also a killer. Quote, it became an investigation within an investigation, Ruggieri said. She was now hunting a woman, presumably in middle to old age, who with 30 or 40 years ago had had an affair with a married man, now long dead, and given birth to a boy who went on to murder Yara Gambrasio. Oh, my gosh. Wow. This I mean, thing just goes deeper and deeper. Dude, you imagine being the investigator here, like, can I get a fucking break? It just like this, this mole, this mole, this mole hole just keeps going deeper and deeper. So, Is that a thing? Mole hole? Yeah, mole hole. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Uh, so much for uh, having the killer in a couple days, huh? Remember, know, remember right? that? A year ago? Yeah. Yeah, this, this investigation has got to be a nightmare of hers because she's, I mean, what more can you do? You're literally testing every male in Seriously. proximity. To this area, like this is crazy. Yep. Now you got to find a woman that Giuseppe cheated with thirty to forty years ago. Yeah. And who who he got pregnant. And you also got to um, hope that she is not too prideful to tell the truth. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You got to hope that she's still alive. I mean, she would be old at this. True that. Very old at this point. True that. Yep. Um, so it proved extremely difficult for investigators to penetrate the mountain villages, Ponte Selva, Pare. Cluson and Rovetta, I'm sure I butchered half of those at least, <laughs> where they were looking for clues and leads. Um, there was incomprehension on both sides. The investigation was, by Italian standards, unusually secretive. Locals couldn't understand why police hunting the murder of a 13-year-old girl were taking DNA samples of elderly women. Which, yeah. <laughs> I mean, from the outside looking in, with the, I mean, if you could just put yourself in there, she was like, of course, well, why the fuck are you testing these old ladies? Right. Obviously, none of them killed this girl. What the hell are you, you doing? You obviously do not have a clue. There are <laughs> right. still men who have not been tested. Yeah. Yeah, and there was also some talk of maybe some sexism on part of uh, the community um, in believing that maybe this this female detective was not fit to, to find this killer. Oh, of course. That's some bullshit. But that's what you get in a traditional religiously-based, um, especially a yeah. Christian-based community. Uh, community. Yeah, you're going to have that. Yeah. Yeah. So investigators knew that from from the early 60s onwards, for two weeks every May, Giuseppe Guerrero-Noni used to go to a spa resort called Salis Terme uh-huh. without his wife. So he's going oh, to this shit. spa for two weeks every May. So once a year for two weeks. That's some weird shit. Yes, it is. He's going off to this spa alone and uh, uh-huh. apparently impregnating women. Apparently. Apparently. Um, Throughout the spring of 2012, Ruggieri's team score, uh, scoured records and registers, tracking all of the women who had stayed in the resort at the t- same time of year as Guaranoni. How the hell did they still have records of this spa 30 years ago? <laughs> what kind of spa keeps records 30 years later like That's that? That's a great question. That's a right? great question. Man, the, the the levels of investigating that's going on here. like this is Right, what is it, in a Rolodex? Nuts. I mean, what the right. hell? What did you go through to find yeah. these... Yep. 
They also searched orphanages and homes for fallen women. They tested single mothers and women who had left the mountains f- for lower Bergamo. They came up empty-handed. Shocker. Yeah. Meanwhile, Yara's family had hired a freel- freelance geneticist in order to review the investigation and explain it to them. The geneticist pushed for an exhumation of Giuseppe Guerinoni's body to confirm the theory that he was the father of the killer. So they got approval, and the exhumation was actually granted. The DNA testing proved without a doubt that Giuseppe was the father of Unknown One and the killer of their daughter, Yara Gambrissio. And I understand the um, doubt here, because the only other DNA they oh, had sure. to go by was was stamps. Like, how old are those stamps? Like, I was surprised that they could even pull DNA from old right. stamps that were licked. Like, that's that's yeah. crazy. But in this case, they mm-hmm. tested, what, his femur, right? Yeah, they, they, they like, DNA from took the femur. some bone marrow out or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it was it was uh, undeniable at that point that that uh, Giuseppe was the father of the killer, and now they just had to find this Ill- illegitimate boy that had been born with one of his side lovers, um, and and basically get more evidence as to you know this person being the killer. So as the investigation dragged on through 2013, the public slowly became aware of why a woman would be uh, being sought. Um, it became common knowledge that the late Giuseppe Guerinoni had a lover and that, he, that she, was sought, she was thought to be the mother of the murderer. Long forgotten infidelities and old suspicions surfaced. And this is what we were talking about, yeah. about some shit getting stirred, <laughs> some beehives being shaken. Yep. Journalists discovered five illegitimate children in two small villages. It was like an open sewer, a society which had always prided itself in a sense of loyalty and traditional Catholicism suddenly discovered the betrayals in its midst. <gasps> so Betrayal this, and Catholicism? What? Who shit's would have thought? <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. Oh, this is this this is great. This is great. You know, open. You, you really need to air it out in that community. Sometimes you have to do this. It's like a pudding that gets that that silky layer on top. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it looks it looks fine, and then and then you poke through that 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 skin that's on top to get to the pudding. Yeah, that's what's happened here. Yeah, I don't know. That's a terrible analogy. That, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like pudding at all. The so fuck am I talking about? <laughs> Italians even like pudding? It's so offensive. <laughs> I do uh, like pudding. Maybe I'm just hungry. I don't know. <laughs> No, I get, I get it, man. I get it. It works. It works. Yeah, okay. All right. So Marshal Giovanni Morserino uh, was Ruggieri's right-hand man. Working in the office next to hers, his desk was covered in hundreds of scraps of paper, scrawled with names and numbers in different colored inks. So the, exactly the kind of right-hand man you'd want if you're a badass detective. This guy is tireless as well. He's obsessed with this case. Um, Giovanni is, by his own admission, a stubborn man, quote, I get fucked off when I can't solve a case. Because of this case, he said, I haven't had a holiday in four years. Holy shit. Wow. So he won't even spend holiday with his family because he's so obsessed with finding this killer. Gotta love it. Damn, takes what you sign up for when you do that job, you know? Yes, sir. Yep. By 2013, he had gotten to know everything about Guerinoni, the murderer's father's life, so Giuseppe. He'd become obsessed with Giuseppe's history, had interviewed a bunch of people, and knew exactly what he'd been up to pretty much his whole life. He knew that Giovanni frequently, uh, or no, Giovanni, the detective, frequently questioned the former bus drivers in Ponte Selva that uh, Guerinoni had worked with in the 60s and 70s. So these people that Giuseppe had worked with back in the day mm-hmm. were now being interviewed you know, 30, 40 years later by this detective, and it wasn't until June of 2014 that one of Giovanni's sources finally gave him the name he was looking for. So they knew these bus drivers that Giuseppe had worked with. He eventually had gotten comfortable to a few of them enough to where he would kind of tell them about his little 
uh, outings to the spa right. and his side lovers and stuff. And one of them later, 30, 40 years later, still remembered the name of one of his lovers and gave the name to uh, Giovanni. Um, investigators had the final piece of the jigsaw. A woman named Esther Arzuffi was apparently one of... Uh, was one of Giuseppe's lovers back in the 60s and 70s. Arzuffi had been a neighbor of Guaranoni's in Ponte Selva in the late 1960s. Ruggieri's team immediately cross-checked the DNA samples they had and discovered that, indeed, the woman they had spent so long looking for was the mother of Unknown One. So now they had the father and the mother. Oh, here we go. And they knew. They, the mother's more important, obviously, obviously, because she knows damn well she had a son. Yes. <laughs> you know, Giuseppe may have not known. Exactly. You know, he may have gone on living his life and not known what he had done. Um, but she knows damn well she has a son. So, if, if you know, now they've really gotten somewhere. Mm-hmm. However, they had to track her down. Arzuffi had left Ponte Selva in 1970, but she had continued her affair with Guaranoni. And, um, and in the autumn of 1970, she gave birth to twins, a boy and a girl. Oh. The boy's name was Massimo Bossetti. His middle name was Giuseppe, like his biological father. A slim boy who loved to party, he was nicknamed, quote, the animal by his friends. He was now 42, a builder. Mm. Pause. A builder. A builder. You mean construction Worked in builder? construction. Oh. Hmm. Worked in construction. A lot of uh, boxes are being checked right now. Mm-hmm. Married with three children. Um, and living in Mapello, the village near Yara's hometown, where the last signal from Yara's cell phone had been recorded. Uh-oh. He was short, with blue eyes, and a thin, creepy goatee. I added the creepy part because I saw a picture of him. It's a very creepy goatee. I thought goatee. so. I was like, wait a second. Did you add the creepy part? But it's 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 a it's bit accurate. it's a bit of a rapey goatee if there's such a thing. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, no, I get it. I get it. I thought the same thing. I I, was, I even looked at the guy and I was like, man, this guy don't even really look Italian to me. Not like traditional right. in traditional sense. Well, yeah, the blue eyes will throw you off a little bit. Yeah, hmm. he just looked creepy. He looked like a white, uh, like a white guy with blue eyes that got way too dark of a tan to try and look Italian. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Or it looked um, like somebody so who Ruggieri, just moved to that area. Honestly, that's what I thought when yeah. I first saw his picture. I was like, this guy. <laughs> well, even I mean, from we me? don't know. Even, uh, was his uh, his mother may not have been all that Italian. That's true. Know? That's true. Our Zuffy, that's that's her last name. So I don't know. Right. Okay. So he was probably half Italian. Um, so now with this this groundbreaking information, Ruggieri moved fast. On June fifteenth, twenty fourteen, she set up a fake roadblock, breathalyzing drivers. When the when her police officers stopped Massimo Bosetti, they pretended the machine hadn't worked the first time, so they could get two good samples. Awesome freaking police work here. Yeah, seriously. Really sneaky shit. Um, so I mean, he gets he's getting his DNA tested, and he's not none the wiser to you know all the heat that's all of a sudden on him. He has no idea you know what's going on, so that's good. So he can't run off. He has no clue that they're zoning in on him now. Mm-hmm. His DNA was I mean, it's been what four or five years now since he's killed this girl, and no one's ever come questioning him or anything. So he's thinking he's scot free. Right. Um, his DNA was immediately sent out for overnight tests, and results showed that it was, in fact, an exact match match with Unknown One, and Unknown One was no longer unknown. Unwon, unknown uh, One was now Massimo Bosetti. They had their killer, um, and a lot of circumstantial evidence pointed his way as well, which we'll get into. So on June 16th, uh, Bosetti was arrested and charged with the murder of Yara Gambaracio, Investigators discovered plenty of circumstantial evidence, including the fact that he had frequently hung around Yara's house. He parked his car on Via Don, Don Sala behind the gym and ate at the Tescanasia Pizzeria at the end of her road. So he frequented the area where she was walking back and forth to this sports complex. Mm-hmm. 
He had gone for regular UV showers at the tanning shop nearby. There we go. Oh, I knew it. Oh, there we go. I knew it. That explains it. I knew it. Damn, Lauren, you called it, dude. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I, honestly, I didn't even realize this was in the crime, like the UV part. I forgot putting that in there. So I was... I didn't cheat, I swear. <laughs> but I mean, just look at his picture. You could tell he's he's yeah. trying to really darken That's that skin. That's what I'm skin. saying. Something's off about it. Something, something's off about it. Yeah. Also, investigators found that his internet searches were troubling, using search words which implied a compulsion for pubescent young right. girls, basically child porn. And more pertinently, records suggested that his phone had been present in Brimbate de Sopra on the evening of Yara's disappearance, but had then been switched off from 5.45 p.m. until the following morning at 7.34 p.m., so right in that window when Yara was murdered. See, that means he was, he was looking to do something that day, right? Because he set it off. He cut it off before Yara even he left her it off house. like an hour before she went. Yeah, she was still at the uh, sports complex when he shut his phone off. What she, so he was definitely, he either saw her go in there and was waiting for her to come out, and that's when he shut that's his phone right. off. That's right, yep. That's right. That's, that makes sense. I think he watched her. Mm -hmm. I think he was following her. He watched her go into the complex, turned his phone off. Yep. And then when she came out, he struck. Because it was literally, she. somebody got her quick. Because remember, she left at 6.45 and sent that text to her friend. And then her phone, minutes later, was in that, uh, in that small village, yeah. the other direction of her home. So he got her right outside the complex, I'm convinced. Right. You know what I couldn't find? I, I was looking really hard to try to see what kind of vehicle he drove. Because remember, somebody had saw her talking to two men out oh, by a yeah, red car. Yeah. I was trying to I, find... I don't... You think... Yeah, I don't think... The two men thing is like, I don't think he was with anybody. I, don't, I think he worked alone. Well, yeah, but there could have just been someone standing in proximity and they assumed that she was talking true. to two people when really it could have just been another guy standing there. You know what I'm Very saying? True. Or getting yeah, I mean, that, I mean, if they did see her talking to two men in a car that evening, there was not much time for her to do that plus for Massimo to grab her. So it, you almost think it had to have been him in the car, right? Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I mean, and then who would... Why would he approach a young girl with with two men there? It's not like you're just going to be able to snatch her. At least I would I would hope not. You know what exactly. I'm saying? It'd be hard to snatch her out in front of these two guys. So I feel like he was one of those guys, or he was just. Or maybe there was only one guy, and the person was mistaken. Like you said, someone happened to be walking by at yep. the same time, or they yep. just thought they saw two people. Exactly. Because it was the evening; it was getting dark. It might have been a shadow in his car that looked like another person, or that's right. Who knows? That's right. So, for Ruggieri, the arrest was the reward of almost four years of dogged investigative work. And on July 1st, 2016, it all paid off when Massimo Bossetti was sentenced to life imprisonment. And in July of 2017, the verdict was upheld. And that's where he spends his time, is in prison to this day. And thankfully, there was a resolution to this case, thanks to some amazing investigative work and just persistence. Yeah, he still maintains his innocence, though, somehow. With all of this evidence, oh, God. I'm like, dude, how? How are you? Right. Just, I mean, I, I get it. I'm sure he gets, he probably has a horrible life It's probably life just for prison. his family members. He doesn't want them to look at him like that. So he's just going to keep letting them have a glimmer of hope that maybe he's not the monster that he actually is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But when he looks at himself in the mirror, he fucking knows he did it. Yeah. Or maybe he knew all his whole life he was just like this illegitimate child anyways, you know? And he was just like, yeah, fuck society. You know, like obviously, maybe. His dad but even didn't if you say "fuck society" and you feel like you got an unfair shake, it still takes a special kind of monster to to uh, molest and kill a thirteen-year-old girl. So. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. So, 
How'd you guys like that? Well, yeah, that's that's an amazing case, right? Yeah, man, that was trippy. Like uh, just the twists and turns, and the, like, like I said, the persist- persistence of the police to really go to every. They, they'd hit a wall, and then they would break through that wall and keep running until they hit another wall and break through that wall. It was just they never got deterred. No, never, never. That awesome. that that uh, that investigation. You never felt like it lost steam. I'm sure it did over the course of four years, and there were times where you know it felt very cold, but in studying it and looking at the process and then how things happened and whatnot, it just seems like it stayed in the forefronts of everyone's minds there in that community and on that police force as well. Exactly. All right. All right. You want to talk about some Oh My Gaia? I actually uh, <clears throat> had an incense, incense from uh, incense mm-hmm. burning from Oh My Gaia this morning. Yeah. Fantastic. Love it. Yeah. Great smells, dude. And they stick around for a while. You can probably still smell it if you really try. Yep. Oh, definitely. And I got some barbershop in my pits right now. Oh, okay, nice. I'm rocking Smelling some Egyptian musk. Clean. I'm cooking in my room, though. I had to turn off all my fans and stuff, you know? So I'm, thank God I have Oh My Gaia, or I would be not be able to tolerate myself. Um, but Oh My Gaia, if you don't know what that is, Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while maintaining effectiveness. At Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients. And guys, like we mentioned, we, we're both wearing different scents today, Egyptian musk and barbershop, but there's tons more scents to choose from. Um, and a lot of the scents are unisex. I mean, anybody could wear these. You got vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, uh, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle, fireside. Um, and we have our very own scent, uh, which we think is quite universal as well. Many uses for this, and it's called True Crime Pine. Um, you guys can get that with True our- Crime Pine. We'll, we'll get you out of a crime. Well, there you, there you go. Uh, not, uh, not confirmed, but yes. That's, that's <laughs> allegedly, it will get out of you a crime. Get you out of a crime. Um, no, it will. It oh, will. I'm going to state that as fact. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Be in touch with our lawyers. Uh, True Crime right. Pine. True Crime Pine. And like Lauren said, barbershop. Um, and there's always new scents being cycled in and out, guys. And like sometimes, uh, Wendy will be trying scents, and she'll send you samples if you if you make an order. If you make an order for there, you know she'll send you some samples of some new scents she's working on. And a lot of times, those scents become uh, regular scents in the rotation. So I think Barbershop was actually I remember trying out Barbershop, you know, a year or so ago. And she was like, "What do you guys think of this?" I'm like, and "Now it's a staple. It's a staple. It's got you got to have it." I'm like, "This is amazing, Wendy. We everyone should be wearing this." But uh. Uh, you can't really go wrong with any of the sense from Oh My Gaia, guys. And because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, and you can get 15% off your order at ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com or at shop underscore Oh My Gaia on Instagram. Guys, do it. You won't regret it. It's a better alternative to what you're using. I can almost guarantee it. 100%. No one's ever dissatisfied. Not, not that we've heard. Everybody that's that's used the code word creeper and yeah. tried out on oh my guy has uh, responded with rave reviews about the product. That's so. right. Something you can do, you can go on Definitely. Instagram and search the hashtag oh my Gaia and hashtag true crime guys and look at all the different posts of people. Happy, happy, happy creepers out there wearing oh my Gaia. There's plenty of them. Happy, happy creeper. Happy, happy creeper. Okay, let's uh, thank everybody who's taking the time to go rate and review the show on iTunes. I want to thank Dana Bobena. 
in the U.S. Said so great, five stars. Heard about us on Killer Queens. We're getting a lot of those, man. Killer Queens, Thank shout you, out. Killer Definitely uh, the, the promo we. We uh, for our show that we played, they played on their show has uh, definitely brought over some of the some of the listeners from Killer Queen. So what's up? Um, let's say thank you to Patience Elizabeth in the U.S. Said hilarious dudes, five stars. These guys are hilarious, but also informative. They get it. People think their accents are bad, and they've embraced it. That's very true. And you just thank got you. a big dose of that in this episode. Yeah, you guys get um, us. Thank you. Now speaking of dose, I want to thank Daily Dose of Danny. Uh, in the U.S. who said, in in need of rehab, five stars. I started listening like three weeks ago, and I finally binged all the Freeloader episodes, and I need more. (laughs) guess I'm going to have to dish out the $2 for Patreon episodes. May need rehab for my newfound addiction to y'all's podcast. Thank you for my true crime needs. (laughs) Patreon will help you with that. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. You can keep binging until you've hit rock bottom. That's right. Hang in there, Danny. Yep. Uh, I want to say thanks to Tabs the Cat Mom in the U.S. Said, awesome, five stars. You guys rocks. Um, and Killer Queens is one of her favorites as well. After hearing that, I knew I would enjoy you. Lots of the stories I'm not familiar with, as well as a good mix of big cases. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Tabs the Cat Mom. Uh, Melamel75 in the U.S. said, If the party bros did true crime, I, do true crime. I just found the podcast, and I like these guys, even if they do bro out from time to time. <laughs> that's, eh, fair, that's fair enough. That's fair that's enough. Very, Whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. Um, yeah. Well, there's a couple bro douches. What are you going to do? Eh. <laughs> um, Ariel Just in the U.S. said great podcast five stars and also mentioned Killer Queens um, and then Smokey Fathead in the in the Great Britain said amazing love this podcast keep going Smokey amazingness five stars thank you Smokey all right bloke thank you very much thank you all right man some great reviews we appreciate guys that's a great way to help the show absolutely it's a great way to help the show helps other people you could also go and rate and review our other show part of uh, the True Crime Guys production uh grouping right yeah strange and unexplained guys it's anywhere that you are searching for podcast uh new episodes are released every monday and that's strange and unexplained if you search true crime guys in your podcast app you'll most likely find it uh you'll see the logo it's got two velociraptors walking through the desert uh you can't miss it um but on that show we it's a little more serious a little less banter uh and we because we focus on cases that a lot of cases are still open uh they may be cold um and they may be inactive for a while, but they're still open. At least, at least in my opinion, they are um, unsolved cases, missing persons, strange events, um, anything from missing persons, um, like one-off missing persons, to anthrax or eugenics, um, different things like that. I'm going to start incorporating more weird scenarios. Like maybe I'm thinking about doing like a, a case that's a little more in depth on Chernobyl. Um, which will Ooh. which will follow. Did you watch that show on HBO? It's uh, freaking good, yes. dude. And there's a lot of other instances that have happened in Chernobyl uh, since then. Very unexplainable, strange things. So those are the types of things I'm going to start looking into as well. So uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, please check out Strange and Unexplained. Uh, guys, I don't think you'll regret it. And like I said, new episodes are released every Monday. So... There you go. Get some more Michael and a little bit of me with my synopsis right. that I play a role in that synopsis. show as well. Yeah, buddy. And so, yeah, check out Strange and Unexplained. Uh, also, Strange and Unexplained's Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash S&U, right? That's right. Is that what it is? Yep, patreon.com slash okay. S&U podcast. Really, if you're looking for uh, Strange and Unexplained on social media as well, you can do at S&U podcast. Uh, Instagram is where I keep things probably most up to date. And that's the same thing with True Crime Guys as well, guys. Uh, Instagram is probably our preferred 
uh, social media outlet. Most things that are going on with the show are going to be posted on on Instagram, whether in the form we're, of the We're story. quick to respond on Twitter, too, though. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we're quick so to respond, you, you but I'm saying, we'll like, as far as... As far as posting and putting out yeah. news and things like that, Instagram, at least for me, is just easier. It's easier for me to pull it up, throw something yeah. on the story, put a link up, and boom, be moving on. Like, And it's kind of like the least cunty of the three uh, social medias yeah. that we use, the Facebook, a Twitter. Twitter, we know. Right. It can be... It can be quite annoying at times on there. Yeah, Twitter can get a little opinionated. Also, we get the most yeah. um, interaction on Instagram as well. I think that's why we, we tend to lean that way. Yeah. Yeah. So... It is what it is. But. So, if you want more true crime guys, if you can't get enough of us, if you uh, need to go to rehab, as one of our listeners has said in the review, <laughs> right. um, we ha- we do have a lot of extra content on patreon.com slash guys, and only two bucks a month gets you access to all of it. There's like a hundred more recordings. There's a bunch of really long ex- uh, premium episodes on there on a lot of the heavy hitter serial killers and... Um, just big and well-known true crime cases as well as some uh, lesser-known stuff that people really enjoyed as well. So definitely go check that out. You also get in on giveaways and stuff like that, which we're not supposed to talk about on Patreon. Right. Um, but <laughs> right. You, you also, get a lot of extra content. Right. Also, if you're if you're uh, kind of sketched out by the auto-draft thing, if, you're do, if you don't like auto-payments on a monthly basis, now uh, Patreon, well, at least through our True Crime Guys account, um, we offer annual memberships now. And you get a discount, so I think like you can get a whole year's worth of True Crime Guys extra for like content for like twenty one dollars. Yeah, seriously, yeah, for like twenty one dollars, you can get an entire year full of. Uh, you have access to everything on our Patreon immediately, um, and then if you join at the five dollar level, you will get access to everything on our Patreon as well as the sticker and and other things that we choose to put on that level. So uh, it's a it's a great deal. People have been asking for it forever. You remember when we first started Patreon? And we, we got yep. flooded with people. They're like, can't we just give you like $24 and, you know, have access? I'm one of those people too. I don't, yeah. I'd rather just pay up front for no. a year and not have to worry about what's coming out of my account every month. Exactly. I agree. So, the same thing. Yeah, we so, get it. So that is an option now, guys. On patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Um, you know, if you don't want to deal with the monthly payments, the auto drafts coming out, whatever, you have an option now to just pay the straight twenty something dollars up front. I think it's twenty one. I think you're right. I think it's like twenty one dollars and some change. So you actually get a discount for buying the year ahead because naturally, you know, two dollars a month would be twenty four dollars. So you save a little bit uh, on buying the yearly, and you save more as it goes up. I think it's ten percent, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's ten percent is what you save by signing up for the uh, yearly. And just think about inflation too. Like ten months from now, you're getting even more value for your money because the dollars gonna be worth even less. Right. You know, so it, it, it's probably going to, you know, we're going to at a certain point with inflation, we're going to have to start charging three bucks a month. That's just the way it is, guys. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but you're grandfathered in or you're 21 bucks for a year. That's right. That's right. You are. You are. And you don't yeah, have to worry. I'm about just messing around. It's going to stay $2 for the, for the, as far as we can see ahead. Yeah. Unless things really go bad. Right, right. <laughs> and we start begging in the street and doing podcasts for you guys for like bread. Right. <laughs> for bread. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be bad times. I think we would have uh, bigger priorities than a podcast at that point. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever keeps food in our kids' mouths. Well, I'll podcast in the street if I have to. That's right. That's right. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you next week for another Freeloader episode. We hope you guys enjoyed this one. Keep creeping. Yep, keep creeping, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk, get you. 
I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. True crime, crime, in the desert we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us cause you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder charming.